All right, good morning, everyone. As a child, there was a couple TV shows I really liked. Uh, one was Gilligan's Island. How many remember Gilligan's Island? How come so many people could come on the island, but they could never get off the island? I never understood that. And all the food, and, and I didn't realize how much clothes they actually brought with them on that three-hour trip. Because if you watch the show, they had so many different clothes, except for Gilligan and the, and, and, and the Skipper. Yeah, they wore the same clothes, that red shirt. Um, I like that show. Um, I liked, I liked, there's other show that I really liked because I thought if this could be real, this would be really neat. And that was uh, I Dream of Jeannie. And, and think about that for a moment. I mean, you know, she would blink and there you could be in Hawaii, you could be anywhere that you wanted to. You'd have this personal genie that would give you any wish that that you desire that would be cool remember as a kid you say you know if you had if you had three wishes what would you wish for and you always had that smart aleck kid that would say i would wish for more money you know and that would be my third i first wish for money and then i wish for more money and then my third wish would be wish for more money you always had that smart aleck kid that always always make that answer but i thought you know think about that for a minute. You, you could have anything that you want you have this genie well th- this story today that we're in as we're going through the whole bible and we're connecting the stories of the bible with the overarching story of the bible of god's redemption for man as we're going through uh the bible um, what's interesting about this story is we're in the history of the kings of Israel, where kings ruled Israel. And we've, we talked about King Saul, that he was a great military leader, but he didn't have a heart after God. Then last week, we, last couple weeks, we talked about King David, that he had a heart after God, but, but we know that he made some many wrong choices that, that really handicapped him and, and his leadership and with his family. And his, one of David's great desires was to build the temple of God. And then, and then we're going to look at, at, at King Solomon that we're looking at today. And King Solomon had a dream and his dream was that he could ask for anything that he wanted. And so as he prayed, what he wished for were, were not the things that you would think that normal people would, would wish for, and that would be, you know, money and success and, and, and peace from your enemies and a long life. He didn't ask for tho- those things, but what Solomon asked for was he actually asked for wisdom from God. And so he could ask anything that he wanted, but the, the one thing that he wanted was wisdom from the Lord. And the thing about King Solomon's reign that I want you to realize is, is that his reign was a reign of peace, and King David's reign was really a, a, a reign of, of war, subduing their enemies from around them. And so because of that, David was not able to build the temple. God's desire, as, we, as we've been studying over the last so many weeks, is that there would be a place, a center, where God's presence would be. And that center, we, we, we've come to understand in the wilderness, was that tabernacle. When, when the children of Israel were going through the desert for 40 years, they had this tabernacle that they could worship in. It was movable, so when God's presence would move, uh, they would move with that tabernacle. But, but, but for God... Uh, and for David's there, that there would be this permanent building, this permanent place where people could worship, where, where people could go and they could, they could sense God's presence, they could offer their sacrifices, and that God would dwell in the center of their lives. And this was David's desire. And so what God did was he gave David the plans to build the temple, but his son Solomon 
would see that to fruition. I want you to uh, see something here in the scriptures. First Chronicles tells us, in First Chronicles 28, uh, David's desire, but, but not having the desire to fulfill building the temple, that eventually his son would do it. And it says here in First Chronicles 28, it says, Then King David rose to his feet and said, Hear me, my brothers and my people. He says, I had it in my heart to build a temple to rest the Ark of the Covenant, which contained uh, the commandments of God, for, for the Lord, for the footstool of our God. And I made preparations for the building. But God said to me, you may not build a house for my name. You are a man of war and have shed blood. Now, let, let, let's, I want us to understand something here this morning. What was, what was so significant about building this temple, this permanent building where God's presence would be, where they could offer their sacrifices unto the Lord. Why was this so important? I want you to realize that when God established Israel as a nation, God wanted to be the center of their lives. God wanted everything they did to revolve around him. If you remember, when they were going through the wilderness, when they were led out of Egypt, out of over 430 years of captivity in Egypt, and they were led into the wilderness, the center of, of their worship experience would revolve around this tent, around this tabernacle where God's presence would dwell. And they could see the cloud of God, the Shekinah glory of God would drop down in that place. And all the 12 tribes of Israel were all stationed around that tabernacle. And it was very symbolic because God was in the center of their lives. And when they focused on that tabernacle, when they focused on God, God would bless them. I want you to understand something. God wanted their vision to be all focused on him, not on their enemies that were around them. The minute they lost focus, the minute they turned their eyes away from the Lord and focused on their enemies and the foreign nations around them, they lost track of God and they began to serve these foreign gods. And that's why God had the commandments for them. He said, listen, I'm going to give you these 10 commandments. And if you follow them, and if you have me as your only God, and, 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 and your, your relationship with me is, is in correct order, and your relationship with others are in correct order, you're going to have a blessed life. But everything has to revolve. Everything has to focus around me. And so David's heart was to say, hey, let's build this permanent building that God gave me in a dream. God gave me the plans and we're going to allow this Ark of the Covenant that holds the, the very commandments of God to be the very center of our lives. And if we obey these things, God will bless us. So that's a, that's a great desire. So here's why it was so important. The temple was a vivid reminder that God was a holy God. It was a place where their sins could be atoned for. And through the ministry of God's chosen priest, they were to be the mediator between man and God. And through the tribe and, and through the, uh, the priestly duties, uh, through, through the lineage of David, these priests would enter in, these high priests would enter in to the most holy place in this temple area. And they would present their sins and the sins of the people that God would atone for their sins and their relationship with God could be correct. And they would have to do this year after year after year. Year. It was a vivid reminder that their sins were before them, but their God would, would temporarily atone for their sins. And God wouldn't reject them. And God wouldn't kill them. That God would say, listen, through the blood of goats and lambs and through these animals, that you're offering this to me. 
so that I might cover your sins, that you might be in right relationship with me. It was all about a relationship with God. God showed them, this is how I want you to approach me. This is how I want you to have a relationship with me. There has to be a sacrifice. There has to be a a penalty that has to be paid for your sins. But I'm such a loving God that I'm going to atone for them. And then eventually I'm going to ultimately atone for them forever and for good and a finality through my son, Jesus. And so this temple was, was, was just this vivid reminder that God was among them, that, that their God was the one that could forgive them. And so David's reign had, had much bloodshed. Solomon's reign would be one of rest. And so this is the period where God wanted to build this temple. This would be the center of their worship. This would be where they would find forgiveness. This is where they would find the very presence of God. This is where they could uh, see that they were separated from God, from the Holy of Holies. And there's this special place within the temple that, that no one could enter into because this was God's presence. And if they were just to enter in behind that curtain without offering up a sacrifice, without being that high priest, they would actually die in God's presence because God says, listen, nothing unholy can approach me. That curtain was a vivid reminder that their sins separated them from God. But God said, once a year, I'm Yom Kippur, on Day of Atonement. I'm going to allow the high priest to come in with the blood of, of goats and bulls. And, and I'm going to allow you to sprinkle that blood and, 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 and find mercy and forgiveness for your sins, that I might not reject you, that I might not reject you as a people. So this is where they could find forgiveness. And so this had to be in the center of everything that they did. It was important because the people needed to be reminded that their sins were the very thing that separated them from a holy God. And only God could forgive them from their sins. So the temple is a place of worship. It was a place of reminder that God is a forgiving God, that he's a merciful God. Every time we look at the empty cross, it should be a reminder to us that God is a a faithful forgiving God. The empty cross shouldn't bring guilt and condemnation on our lives. The empty cross should bring joy and happiness and forgiveness in our lives for what Jesus Christ had done for us. When we come to church, this should be a joyful place. Can I get an amen? How many remember as a kid or something, you go to church, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to go to church and, and you'd walk out feeling worse than you walked in, right? That's not, that's not what it should happen. What happens when we come into the presence of God and we worship together as God's people, we should find forgiveness and mercy through Jesus Christ. This should be a joyful, rejoicing place for what Jesus Christ has done for us. Amen? And so that's what, the, that's what the temple was supposed to do, and that's what it was supposed to symbolize. And, and what's interesting about the temple itself, that, that in the Holy of Holies, uh, there wasn't one piece of furniture which the, the priest could sit upon because it was a reminder to the priest that he could not sit because his job was never finished. And here's what's so interesting about the upper story here and the fulfillment of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ, after he died and he rose, the Bible tells us that he sat at the right hand of the Father, meaning it is finished. That, that the job, that the atonement of our sins is fully completed in Jesus Christ. There is no more need for any more sacrifices because Jesus completed it in his perfect life. Amen? 
And so Jesus is the fulfillment of the temple. Jesus is the fulfillment of the sacrificial system. He done all of this for you and I. So what God does is he chooses Solomon, David's son, to build this temple and to rule Israel. Now, at the beginning of his rule, God comes to Solomon in a dream and asks him, as we saw in the video, anything you want, I'm going to give it to you. And Solomon replies, listen, um, I'm just a, a, a child that you have chosen to lead your people. Please give me wisdom that I might rightly lead your people. That was the right answer. That's the answer that God wanted to hear. Let me, let me read it to you in 1 Kings chapter 3. Let me read this to you because it's really, you could just see the heartbeat of Solomon and how he wanted to rule God's people. And this is the heart that God wanted to rule his people. He says this, starting in verse 9, he says, Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern. Notice how he says, your people, not my people. I'm under your hand. This is your people. Give me the right attitude to govern your people that I might discern between good and evil for those uh, is able to govern this for, for who is able to govern this great, your great people. And if it, if it, it, it pleased the Lord that this, this was right before God's eyes. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this and you have not asked for yourself a long life or, or riches or, or, or the life of your enemies, but you've asked for yourself, understand to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I will give you also what you have not asked both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. So God was pleased. He didn't ask for riches or long life or uh, life over the enemies, which is usually the top three of anybody's list. So God gives him wisdom, not only... Uh, not only that, but, but he doesn't ask for these riches, but God gives it to him. And if you know anything about Solomon, you know that he is the wealthiest, wisest man that lived at that time. And so Solomon hits the honey hole. Solomon is wise. Solomon is going to have riches beyond riches, as we're going to see in, in a moment. And his fame is going to spread all over that Area. So what happens is Solomon's fame grows far and wide. People come to hear him and listen to him and see his riches and all those things happened. And if you read through the book of Proverbs, you see these wis the, 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 the wisdom that Solomon had. Now, let me just read you because I love the book of Proverbs. Let me just read you a couple of them. Some of my favorite verses are found here. But, but if we come to understand the wisdom that he had and, and live by the wisdom in Proverbs, how many know you're going to have a blessed life? It, it, just, it just happens. So let me just read you a couple of these. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I love Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Love that. Love that proverb. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with 
wine. Honor the Lord with all that he has given you. Good. That's good wisdom, isn't it? Can I get an amen? Hey, as a pastor, that's a good verse. Amen? Give to the Lord first. We like when you give as a pastor. Amen? That's good. Give to the Lord with all your wealth. Give first to him. That's a good, sound wisdom. Proverbs 23 and 4 says... Avoid, avoiding a fight is a mark, a mark of honor. Only fools insist on quarreling. Those too lazy to plow in the right season will have no food at the harvest. Being slow to anger, being forgiving, all these good wisdom here. Proverbs 20.10, false weight and unequal measures. The Lord detests double standards of every kind. The Lord doesn't want to see hypocrisy in our heart. Great wisdom. Proverbs 21 says, wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is, is not wise. By it, it is not wise. Now, this is great wisdom. And some of you are thinking, man, pastor, I wish I had this like 20 or 30 years ago. So great. This would have saved me a lot of heartache some years ago. Amen. And this is just good, solid wisdom. Read through the book of Proverbs. Just great wisdom to live our lives by. And this Solomon had, and that's why so many people went to him and sought his wisdom. Now you may be thinking, well, Solomon, wow, this guy had it all. And I think us living in America today, we kind of look at our celebrities that way. It's interesting how we idolize celebrities. And on the outside, they look so glamorous and it looks like they they have it all. Um, TV shows give us insight to them. Reality shows give us a glimpse into their lives. And and, and we seem to just gobble it up. Um, no pun intended that we just uh, celebrated Thanksgiving. But anyways, yeah, yeah, how, many, how many of us know that celebrities have problems too? That, that those that, that have much have problems too? And they'll be the first to tell you that it's not always what it looks like on the outside. And so here we have Solomon, and he's insanely wealthy. And so what happens to Solomon is that his wealth begins to own him. And see, that's, that's the problem with money. Money's not necessarily a bad thing. We know that it's the, the love of money, right, that's the root of all evil. It's not, some, many times we misquote that verse when we say, well, money is the root of all evil. No, it's not. It's the love of money. It, when it becomes our desire. So I want you to get a picture here. Here, Solomon builds this wonderful temple. That, that, and if you just read his dedication prayer for, this, for the temple of God, it's an amazing prayer. You hear his heart and how Solomon desires for God to be the center of their nation. And so here's a visible, huge, gorgeous, ornate temple where God's presence Rest, And it's just a visible reminder to Israel that God shall be the center of their nation. And all of a sudden, Solomon gets very popular, very famous. All these people are visiting him. Queen of Sheba comes. Everyone's coming to hear him. And when they come, they just don't come. They bring stuff with them. They bring all kind of gold and silver and riches to fill his vats. And so Solomon's sitting back and this guy, he's, he's the man right now. He's the man. But what begins to happen is his eyes begin to turn from the temple and the center of their worship where his eyes begin to turn out 
and he begins to look at the wealth that he starts to accumulate. And he begins to look at the countries around them and what they are like. And so what, what begins to happen is this wealth begins to own him. Now, can you imagine trying to handle the wealth that Solomon had? Let me explain to you how wealthy he was. Second Chronicles 9 gives us a little glimpse into how wealthy he was. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to translate this into modern times and just show you, contextualize just how wealthy Solomon was. It says here in Second Chronicles 9, starting with verse 22, it says, So King Solomon became richer and wiser than any other king on the earth. He was sitting on top of the mountain right now. Kings from every nation came to consult him to hear the wisdom that God had given him. Year after year, everyone who visited him brought him gifts of silver, gold, clothing, Ferraris, everything, right? Weapons, spices, horses, and mules. Mules. He actually got mules. Donkeys. No, I read that. I'm like, mules? What's the big deal about mules? But I guess they're important. Okay, so he got mules. But look at this. Solomon, to, in order to house, how many you know the more stuff you got, the more stuff you got to build to house all the stuff that you got, right? So here, Solomon had built 4,000 stalls for his horses and chariots, and he had 12,000 horses. That's a lot of manure, isn't it? That's a lot of picking up after horses. Can I get an amen from all you horse lovers that have to pick up after your stalls, all right? Are you guys with me this morning? Is everybody still full on turkey? I feel like I'm the only one in the room right now. Okay, I just want to make sure you guys are with me. Okay, and then he stationed some of them in the chariots in the cities and some near Jerusalem, and he ruled over all the kings from the Euphrates River in the north in the land of the Philistines, the border of Egypt in south. So basically, what the Word of God tells us is that he had about 22 tons of gold, 22 tons of gold that would come in every year. Now, if you were to equate that into today's market, every year that would be worth about a trillion dollars. A trillion dollars would come in to, to the land of Israel every year. A trillion dollars. That is a lot of bass boats. If I can just contextualize that to my world, okay? So now here's the question. Was it wrong to have the, the wealth? Was it, was it wrong for Solomon to, to have all this, to have all the wealth? I, I don't think it was wrong for Solomon to have all, all that wealth. God gave it to him. Um, as long as he honored the Lord with it it, 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 it was fine. And he was giving to the Lord. He was honoring the Lord. It, it was fine. But something happened to Solomon and, and it can happen to us. And I know you, you're thinking, well, I can't even relate to Solomon with a trillion, trillion dollars. I wish I just had $10 in my bank account, right? So, I mean, to, to us, it's like we can't even relate to that to, to some extent. But it, it really doesn't matter the amount. It's the hold of it that, that it has on your heart. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter if you have little or you have a lot. If we're not careful, that grip 
of the world and of money can get a grip of our heart to where we never either feel like we have so much and we, and we, we you know, people just don't know what to do with it as we, you know, as we see that in our world, or we have too much and we're always looking to get more and it just grips our heart. And what something happened to Solomon. What happened to Solomon is that the fame and the fortune, it, it eventually got to him. And what happened to Solomon is he became his own worst enemy. For Solomon, he had to keep up the appearances. Solomon did something that greatly displeased the Lord. And, and this is what Solomon did. In order to be like the other nations, in order to be powerful, okay, he has all these horses and, and chariots were huge for an army. This just, when you had all these chariots, you basically said to the armies around you, listen, th- this was like their nuclear warhead. You know, during the Cold War, it's like how many Warheads, you have, we have this many, we have this many. And it would basically, it would show your power on how many nuclear arms you would have. When you had chariots, you, you had a huge advantage as an army. So, so this kind of subdued anyone saying, ah, we're going to try to take over Israel because they're pretty powerful because they have a lot of weaponry, so we're not going to mess with them. That, that, that wasn't uh, Solomon's issue. Here's what happened to Solomon. Remember I told you last week, it's, it's not going through a, a physical trial that's the demise of many people. The, the demise of many people is not the exterior physical things that we go through because many people go through tremendous physical things in their life. And even though it's hard, but they go through it and the Lord gives them help. And we hear tremendous testimonies on how the Lord has helped people. And we love hearing those stories. That's usually not the demise of people. The demise of people is usually the interior of our life. It's the moral breakdown of our heart that leads to many demise. It's not the exterior things. It's not the trials we go through. But it's the moral decay within our heart. And this is exactly what began to happen to Solomon. In order to be like other nations, in order to be powerful, what you would do is you would marry other dignitaries, other king's daughters. This would show your power. And so it was a good political move to do this. And we see this throughout history that you would marry another country's daughter to keep peace between the countries. Now, this is exactly what Solomon did. It may have kept peace, but he didn't trust God because God knew what would happen when Solomon started marrying foreign wives with foreign gods. And so I want to read to you what happened. This was the demise. This was the beginning of the downturn of Israel and their country. This is where it started, right here. It started within the heart of Solomon. And what we're going to do is next week, we're going to see Solomon's own sons. And we're going to see how this move by Solomon started the decay of Israel. And because of this move, And because of the choice that Solomon made, it would basically divide their kingdom for the rest of the history of Israel when kings led Israel. We're going to see how their nation literally divided uh, next week and how it just brought so much turmoil into this nation because of the choice that Solomon made here. And we think, man, Solomon had so much wisdom. Why did he not think about this? with all the wisdom that God gave him, why did he make this wrong choice? So let's read it here in 1 Kings chapter 11. Let's see what happened. 
First Kings chapter 11. It says, now King Solomon loved many foreign women. Look at the word loved. His devotion, his heart shifted. Watch me here. Shifted from the temple that he dedicated to the Lord. It shifts over to these foreign women. His heart became divided now from worshiping God in the temple and divided to loving these foreign women. And so along with the daughter of Pharaoh, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Parasites, the Edomites. Just, I'm just checking to see if you guys are still listening to me this morning. Okay? I know you still hung over from Turkey, so I just want to make sure the Sidonians, the Hittite women, and from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, listen to what God says here. It says, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you. And here's the reason why. It wasn't because they were just foreign. Here's the reason why. God gives them the reason. For surely you will turn your heart after their what? Gods. And so it, look at the next sentence here. Solomon clung to these in love. His heart was taken captive by them. He had 700 wives who were his princesses and 300 concubines. That's a thousand wives. Now, how many of you have the gift of saying what everybody else is thinking? That's a lot of mother-in-laws right there, right? <laughs> I, I hope Solomon had a big bottle of aspirin, right? So here, here's the thing. That's a lot of wine, okay? But it displayed his power of showing, listen how great I am. And what happens here, look at the next sentence. And his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart, listen, his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God. It wasn't that he wasn't, he didn't know God or want to run after God. It, was, it wasn't wholly after God. It was, it was divided between God and his wives. As was the heart of, his, of David, his father. For Solomon went after Ashereth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. And Solomon built a high place for Kamash, the abomination of Moab, and Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifices to their gods. Which, let me just give you insight to many, this is how bad their practices were. They would offer up their children in sacrifices to Molech and Kamash, these gods. It was just horrible pagan practices to these other gods. And because of Solomon's marriage to them, he allowed this to happen. So now he turns his eyes away from the temple of being the focus of Israel to these other foreign gods that he allowed into his country that they might worship them too. So you have a division. This is what started right here is what started the division right in the temple of God. And the Ark of the Covenant was the Ten Commandments. And the first commandment God said to them is, listen, 
don't have any other gods before me. The very first commandment that was in the temple, in the holy place, Solomon disobeyed. And this is going to be the demise for the rest of the history. And there'll be some kings that will rise up, as we'll talk about next week, that that tried to smash these high places and tried to bring Israel back. But then another king would come and they would fall demise to that to eventually God allowed the enemies of Israel, Babylon, Persia to come, Assyria, to come and take them captive because of their waywardness from the Lord. You see, here's what happens. We think what happened to Solomon? What, what, what was his issue? What, you know, what happened here? The very thing that Solomon built the temple that was to be the center of Israel's life, it was dedicated to God, it would be the center of their spiritual lives. Their sins would be removed by God in this very place. Solomon forgot what he could see every day, the temple every day. His wives blinded him to what really mattered. And so the question we need to ask ourselves today is, okay, Pastor Barton, how does, how does this story fit with the larger story of the Bible, of Jesus Christ? And how does it fit into my life? Well, let me ask you a question today. I think the hardest thing about being a Christian is, 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 is a division within our heart. What, what, what are we serving? What, what are we fully devoted to? And I, and I think that's what we all struggle with because, um, you know, we could say, what is the thing that's blocking us from our our passion for God, is it my job, is it my hobbies, is it my children, whatever, whatever it may be, those things can block us from our complete devotion to the Lord. Not that those things are bad within themselves, but what happens is those things can become our devotion. Those things can become our idols. Those things can become the things that we find our identity in. Those are the things that we try to find our worth in. And God is telling Solomon, your wives cannot find your worth. I'm your worth. I'm the one that gave you all these things. I'm the one that gave you the wisdom. I'm the one that's displaying my glory through your life that other nations can see what a great God that I am. And so Solomon, at the end of his life, writes this in Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Here's what happens. He says, now all has been heard, and here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God And keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Basically, Solomon is saying, been there, done that. I've done it all. I was the wealthiest man on the earth. But the only thing that matters at the end of one's life is did you fear God and did you obey his commandments? Because the temple was to be the center of their life, where God's glory dwelt. This is what God wanted for Solomon. This is what God wanted for Israel. It's interesting that God, the one thing that God desires in our heart more than anything else, I really believe, is is that we walk with a heart that magnifies our heart and what we're doing each and every day. And and I love this about the temple. When When the temple was built, the temple was specifically to be built. When you would walk up the temple steps, they weren't to be there weren't to be any symmetry like there is here, like, you know, because this is code. You have to have whatever inches and it has to be blah, 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 and it has to meet code. 
Um, but when you would walk up the temple steps, they weren't, they weren't synchronized. They were, some steps were higher, lower. And what it caused the worshiper to do when you would walk up to, the, to worship God in the temple, it would, you would have to watch where you're walking because you would trip because you knew that each step wasn't the same. And what, it, what God wanted to do is he wanted them to stop and reflect, what are you about to do here? You're coming into the presence of the Lord. I want you to stop and reflect about your life. I want you to, to, to just do an examination of your heart to, to make sure everything's okay because you're coming into the presence of God. You're, you're, you're coming to my temple area. I want you just to inspect your heart. And what God does for us today through Jesus Christ is that he fills us with his Holy Spirit. That the presence of God no longer dwells in this temple, but the Spirit of God dwells within us. That the Bible even says that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. This was all done through Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is that perfect sacrifice. Hebrews 9, 11, and 12 says it so well. It says, it says so Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of the created world, but he did it with his own blood, not the blood of, of goats and calves. He entered the most holy place once and for all, for all time, and secured our redemption forever. So what Jesus Christ did for us is what we couldn't do for ourselves. And through Jesus Christ, we can now enter that most holy place through his blood. We can do it through his presence. For Solomon the temple became just a building, not a place of God's presence and where sins were forgiven. It became common to him where he became blinded to his own actions. And this can happen to us if we're not careful. And so what Jesus Christ desires us to do is Jesus now is that temple. Jesus now is that, is that place that we can come to. Jesus Christ is now the one that we can enter into God's presence through his perfectly shed blood. And so Jesus says, listen, I offer you this forgiveness. But here's the thing. If we're not careful, the Holy Spirit that God gives us and dwells within us when we are saved, when we come to Christ by faith, that can easily become clouded when we begin to allow other things in this world to take precedence over it. And God says, I just, I want you just to examine your hearts again. I want, I want you to take thought. I want you to be sober-minded about your lives. And, and what are you doing? What, what, where are you going? What are you thinking about? Are, are, are you thinking about me? When, when you make choices, are you thinking about me? Am I part of the equation in your life, or am I just kind of that, that afterthought? And Jesus says, I want to have such a relationship with you, such a personal relationship with you, that I want to be the first one on your mind with every choice that you make. And then when you make a mistake, and, and maybe you fall behind, that you realize that you can run to me and you can find that forgiveness and that healing in your life. See, God wants to have his presence dwell 
within you, but it can easily get clouded by our devotion and the things we run after to try to find our identity. And the very thing that should have been the identity of Israel, which was the temple in the presence of God, the identity for Solomon now became his wives and the power that he had through that to display between the other nations and say, look how much I've gained and look how my wealth and look what I've done. And Solomon began to look at those things and not the temple that he dedicated at the very first start of his kingship. That's where God wanted his devotion. So I would ask you this morning as we pray and as we just close in song today, just, let, just let's just take thought of our lives today and just say, God, is, is there anything in my life that, that is just divided? Am I taking careful thought on what I'm doing? Is there, is there things that I've, that I've allowed to just cloud my heart and my, and my devotion to you? You know, am I only serving you because of the things that you've done for me? Or am I serving you just because I want to serve you because of who you are, not because of what you do for me, but simply because who you are, Jesus. So let's just, let's just inspect our hearts today. Let's take careful thought to where our devotion is today and let Christ be the center of your life again. If, if you've lost track of that, let him be the center of your life again. Just lay those things down that, 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 that we might have dedicated, that we might have been lifting up before the Lord. And may our identity be found in Jesus and Jesus alone. Amen. There's nothing in this world that can ever replace what Christ has ever done in our hearts and our lives. And I know all of us struggle with identity and who we are and what we do. You know, guys are the worst at that because every time a guy meets, hey, how you doing? Good, how you doing? You know, the first thing we ask is, hey, what do you do? I don't know, what do you do? Well, I do a lot. What do you do? You know, it's always about our job. So this is what I do. Because this is what we do. We're, well, I do this. Okay. You know, you know, and you get two women together. Hey, I do. Oh, yeah. Well, what's, oh, you have kids? You don't? Oh, you have, oh, you know, they, you know, it's just different. They're more personable. And guys are more like, it's all about our jobs. But it could be that. It could be our kids. It could be our jobs. It could be whatever, whatever it is that, that we're lifting up to try to find our identity in. And it can rob the very presence of God in our life and what Christ desires to be in us. So, Lord Jesus, we just come before you today. And, Lord, we just lay our lives down at your feet once again. And, Lord, as we just sing this song today, I just pray that whatever thing in our life that we're running after, that we're chasing after, that we're trying to find our identity in, God, that we would just lay that thing at your feet today. That, Jesus, you would be the center of our lives once again. That you would be the devotion of our heart in our life. That we would not lose track of what you've done for us. It's, it's interesting, Jesus, when we focus on you, it's interesting how the things of this world grow strangely dim in comparison to what you've done for us. So may we just recalibrate our lives again today. And looking at the cross and looking at what Christ did for us and knowing what a great Savior we have today. So Lord, help us to find our devotion in you today. Help us to find our love in you today. 
Thank you, Jesus, for your patience, your grace, and your mercy that you give to us each and every day.